ladies and gentlemen, we have an absolute treat for you uh, here today. Uh, somebody who's truly been a hero of ours for over uh, 20 years. Yeah. And in some ways, I think his work was the reason or one of the entryways for us into the world of computers. You know, I've spent thousands of thousands of hours writing code in the, the language he has built. It's kind of hard to sort of sum up the amount of impact he's had on our industry. So love to welcome Anders Helsberg. Let me do a quick introduction. So Anders needs no introduction, as I say, but, you know, among other things, you know, um, I would say you're known from everything from Turbo Pascal and your work mm -hmm. in Delphi in the 90s to being the lead designer architect behind C Sharp, uh, kind of the cornerstone of everything with .NET. And for the last, uh, and then a lot of things on top of C Sharp, we're going to get into Link, we're going to get into a lot of fun stuff on top of that. But then for the last 10 years, you know, uh, leading the charge on TypeScript. Yep. But so, mm -hmm. you know, Anders is an icon in the world of programming languages and how to think about how programs and software are written. And it's very hard to think of more people who had impact on how we build the software views every single day. So Anders, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so, so much Thank for coming you. on our show. Well, you're so welcome. And thanks for all the kind words. Uh, this is, this will be fun. I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into all of your amazing work. But maybe I want to go back to the Anders origin story. Talk to us a little bit about how you and your brother uh, actually got into computers, got into coding, and maybe what sparked the interest in the idea of programming languages. Sure. <clears throat> so I grew up in... Uh, uh, just north of Copenhagen in in Denmark, sort of a very nice middle class, un uh, you know un, unremarkable, <laughs> you know. But but I was fortunate enough to attend a high school that was one of the first in Denmark to uh, give the students access to a computer, mm -hmm. uh, and this is way before micros. Uh, in fact, the first computer the school had had all the the only I/O device was a teletype mm -hmm. and a paper punch. Uh, reader and writer. Um, but then I think the one that, that we had access to when I finally made it into high school, and we're talking about like the mid 70s here, mm -hmm. uh, was an HP 2100 with uh, 32K of ferrite core memory. Mm -hmm. um, and you could literally see ferrite cores. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> remarkable if you opened it up. And boy, and trust me, we did everything to that computer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and it had a 14 inch one megabyte hard drive, which was just state of the art. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, and we sort of, we kind of joked, you know, or I've, I've joked before that for the first two weeks, uh, the teachers were trying to teach us how this computer works. And then, then, then for the, for the remaining time, we taught them how it worked because you know, <laughs> we just spent all the time we could on this, on this darn computer and, and figured everything out, you know, like how to right. program it, machine code. And right. It came right. with, um, uh, it was an HP, an HP 2100, and it came with, uh, a, I think there was a, an implementation of a base, which was sort of, yeah. Uh, and then there was Algol, HP Algol, um, mm -hmm. which was Hewlett Packard's variant of, of I'm, I, I, I don't know, it's lost in history, what, what, <laughs> how that differed from, from regular Algol. Although one thing I do remember is it did not support recursion. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you had to be careful. Uh, <laughs> To not have your functions call themselves, because then you never saw that program again. You know, because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the call instruction would store the return address in the mm -hmm. first word of the function you were calling. <laughs> so, so that that only worked for for one call. Uh, right. You know? so, right. And anyway, but it was. But you know, we sort of got to learn from the very bottom up. You know mm -hmm. how computers worked and how 
languages were built on top of computers and how, how you write programs in those languages and what happens when they get compiled and turned into machine code and et cetera, et cetera. We learned what bootloaders were and, 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 and how you could plant your own bootloaders on the hard drive and, mm -hmm. and perhaps modify uh, the attendance records when the attendance record was mm -hmm. inserted by the <laughs> kept school attendance mm -hmm. and so forth. So we also learned how to write viruses, you know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. like we learned it all, right? Yeah. I mean, but it, yep. was, uh, it was, it was fantastic. And that was kind of what got myself and my brother um, interested in, in programming. Uh, it probably helped that my, my, my dad um, was at the time and has, has for his whole life really worked for Motorola. Um, yeah. And he ran their distributorship in, in Denmark. Um, and, and so he was an engineer by trade and, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and my brother and I are kind of of that same ilk, you know, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you remember what got you interested in the idea of building your own or programming language or designing your own language? Sure. When I started, uh, I started at uh, DTU, the Danish Technical University in 79 and, mm -hmm. uh, met up with some folks who had already started a small company in Copenhagen and eventually ended up becoming a partner in, in that company. And mm -hmm. we had uh, the first uh, retail computer store in Copenhagen where you can mm -hmm. walk in and buy, which at the time, you know, an 8-bit micro, right? The kit computers of the time, the Sinclair mm -hmm. ZX81s and uh, Commodores and uh, whatever. And they, but, but, but before that, even, there was like these, we, we sold this British kit computer that was based on a Z80. Mm -hmm. uh, you had to like put it all together yourself. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and I wrote an awful lot of software for that. So I got and, and pretty quickly got, got good at machine code programming because when you only have 64K mm -hmm. of memory to do good with, you know, <laughs> you gotta write in machine code if, if you wanna really squeeze features uh, in there. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, um, I, I, I was interested in, I mean, there were obviously programming languages available, you know, there, but it was mostly, it was basic, right? Microsoft's ROM basic, and it was slow and, and sort of had all sorts of limitations. And I had been taught Algol, and I was sort of interested in, isn't, it, it, it'd be fun to like try to write uh, an Algol compiler. Mm -hmm. I, I was mm -hmm. stupid, I didn't know, you know, I mean, and then <laughs> my, 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 my partner was like, there's this new thing called Pascal, you know, you should you ought to check that out. That That's like, it's supposed to be better than Algol, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, mm -hmm. so, so, <laughs> so taught myself something about Pascal and, and it turns out that, you know, one of the, the traits of Niklaus Wiers, who uh, invented, who worked with, with, with Algol and, and, and then invented Pascal and Modular and Oberon and a sort of whole lineage of languages is that, he kept making his languages simpler. So, you know, but, so Pascal was actually in many ways a simplified, cleaned up version of Alcohol okay. that was mm -hmm. great for, for uh, as an instructional language also, but it was quite easy to implement mm -hmm. uh, because, because of the rules of the language, you could do it sort of, a, there were no forward declarations and whatever you could do it, a one, one, uh, a mm -hmm. one pass compiler could, could, could do it all. And so, so I got curious about that. And of course, I didn't know anything about compilers. And so I had to sort of teach myself that mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, by, by, by experimenting, right? But, but, but gradually got a subset of Pascal implemented um, that you could, you could rip out the Microsoft ROM basic and then insert our ROM instead. And you, mm -hmm. and you 
when you powered up your machine, you were sitting in this little sort of on-screen editor. Actually, it was sort of like an IDE, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you when but when you typed run, it would actually compile it and then run the machine code. And of course, it would run rings around the basic uh, that that you know. And so this brings up yeah, there's some fun memories because one of my first kind of non-trivial projects I ever wrote was a Visual Basic compiler, right? Where I was did the whole uh -huh. nine yards, right? Like you know, uh, built a lexer parser and then tried to spit out the this right. is, even the VB that tried to spit out the CLR. I want to go back to actually that time because if you think about that era, late eighties, nineties, right? You are dealing with the fundamentals, right? You're dealing with the registers, you you're dealing with the opcodes, and mm -hmm. there's an analogy here. I watch a lot of the NBA. And modern NBA players, well, old-time NBA players will look at the modern game and they say, this game is soft, right? Because back in the day, we really <laughs> had to duke it out. And there's a little bit of an analogy here with programmers. So, soldering pro iron versus... Well, yeah, a little bit like, hey, we knew the cost of every kilobyte and oh, we had to absolutely. go up in this one. So, <laughs> do yeah. you think there is something fundamentally better about being so close to metal that gives the programmers from that era skills and understanding that modern programmers don't have? Yes and no. I, I think it it changes programming in, 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 I mean, like like in order to be a good programmer, in order to write something like Turbo Pascal at the time, you had to be bang up good at writing machine code because there was no way you could write in a high level programming language. Mm -hmm. and, and so it definitely cut down the field to to very few people, but it also forced you to do an awful lot of, of uninteresting housekeeping and debugging, you know, and, and a whole bunch of bite fiddling. You know, if I can make this, this long jump that we have here, I could save a bite by, by short jumping to this short jump, you know, and then, and, 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 and it was literally like that, right? You were mm -hmm. just fiddling away and, oh my God, this afternoon I saved a hundred bites, you know, mm -hmm. by, <laughs> Uh, and, and so in that sense, it was a craft, right? But it was also very much capped at what you would ever be able to produce uh, because 64K was ridiculously small and even 640K, mm -hmm. even though Bill at one point said whoever needs more than that, right? But but <laughs> but even that was clearly not, an, not enough. Uh, I think today... I sometimes lament the fact that 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 this this enormous capacity that computers have now is basically a bottomless pit, right? And and mm. and you can build software on top of layers of layers of layers of layers of layers, and no one can see anywhere half to the to the bottom, right? And and so it gets to be this big swamp of spaghetti code and, mm -hmm. and, and whatever. And there's there's so there's less craft. Mm -hmm. ship, if you will, mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, but on the other hand, you get to leverage other people's work way more than than you could previously. So, mm -hmm. so right. overall, I think we've clearly moved to the industry forward. You know, but mm -hmm. but yeah, us old guys can then <laughs> 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 you know planning for the for the old days. You know, back when we knew what uh, it, I think there is some. You know, we're going to talk later about things like GitHub Copilot, you know, many really very different kinds of code reuse. But I do mm -hmm. think there's a little bit of romance in the, you know, for example, mm -hmm. I, I, I idolize, you know, you and folks like John Carmack and John Carmack, you know, noodling away and trying to, you know, make sure every instruction and memory yeah. access is aligned on some cache line. And Absolutely. the amazing thing is like even today, you know, if you look at like AI, at the heart of it, you have matrix multiplication and kind of doing things with floating point numbers. Some of these things really tend to matter. Okay, which yeah. on the theme of optimization, tell us a story of Turbo Pascal 2 and you discovering hash tables because it's legendary. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is a funny story because I, so, so you have to remember here that I, I am sort of self-taught in the art of, of writing compilers. Now, I have since discovered and, and, and read a lot of the literature, but, but at the time I was just like, I was just coding away and, and, and doing it uh, the best way I knew how. Um, and so when you create a compiler, uh, one of the things you have to create is simple tables or, well, they're not necessarily tables. They could be linked lists, they could be whatever, but you have to look up names. Like when you're trying to compile a code that tries to assign one to X, well, you have to figure out X, where is X? What, what memory address have I associated with X? So you have to look it up. You have to look up the declaration of X, right? And my, in, in Turbo Pascal 1.0, the, the first version of Turbo Pascal, um, all, of the, all of the variable declarations were just kept on a linked list because mm -hmm. that much I knew, you know. And, but of course, <laughs> searching linked lists is, is not particularly efficient when they get, when right. they get large, right? Right. <laughs> right? And so for really large functions, that would just take an awful long time, right? And, and then, well, maybe you could first like have, you could try first going by first letter and then, you know, have 20, 26 linked lists or whatever. And mm -hmm. that could help a little bit. But then I remember reading the literature about these things called hash tables, uh, actually in this book by Niklaus Wirt, uh, Algorithms uh, Plus, uh, yeah, Algorithms Plus Data Structures Equals Programs. Uh, mm -hmm. Great book. Um, and he explains, you know, hash tables. And I go, oh my God, that's amazing. I got to go try this. And I went and implemented it. And oh my, and boom, the compiler went <laughs> twice as fast. <laughs> so, well, there's Turbo Pascal version 2.0, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Awesome. There's good reason to sell upgrades, and uh, yeah, yeah. So, so this actually, I want to get to your time at Boulder and Delphi, and this actually, you know, I'll tell you a story, um, and I don't think we share this in public. So, uh, and you may not like the story, which is uh, <laughs> Visual Basic Six is the reason mm -hmm. I think both of us, or at least I, have my career right because what happened in the mid '90s was that uh, you know my dad back in India, he got me a pirated version of Visual Studio 6 because we could actually afford the real thing. And, you know, I would install this. I'd be like, huh. And for me, the VisiWig actually see when that whole thing was drag powerful. And drop. Drag and drop and being able to kind of go to the submarines. And, yeah. and then, you know, once I got a little good and I understood, I kind of started running into the limitations of VB6, right? It wasn't actually, you know, oops, and you can actually compile it and blah, 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 right? And, and, and then I would look at these code written in Delphi. Right, which you could always tell because you get the you get the little distinctive green check marks and the the Delphi UI. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yes. And and uh, and you could do all these native things. For example, in Visual Basic six, if you want to kind of repaint the windows in ways Windows didn't want you to, you are kind of you are you're spelunking into Win thirty two DLL in ways that man didn't intend uh, and God didn't want you to. Um, and then I would look at the Delphi folks, you'd be like, oh my gosh, here they're doing all these amazing fancy stuff, and I was always so jealous. Right of the world yes. of Borland and Delphi. So, so maybe with that sort of uh, a segue, talk to us maybe about your kind of journey into Borland Delphi, and maybe paint a picture for maybe those who are not around then on maybe the industry with not the Borland versus Java and Visual Basic around that time frame. Sure. Well, so so to con to complete the historical yeah. art, you know, uh, so so because of my work with with these but writing these small compilers for Z80s, uh, we ended up. Um, in this little company we had in Denmark, we ended up connecting with the people who had founded Borland and it ended up creating a royalty deal where they would rebrand our compiler mm -hmm. and, and, and sell it in the U.S., you know, the, the U.S. rights. And that was what became Turbo Pascal. 
Mm. Um, now they put a different editor on it, a different menu system, and and so forth. But and then of course Turbo Pascal took off and became immensely popular, much more than we had ever anticipated. Um, and that ended up sort of being my my main gig. And eventually, I I joined Borland as a, as a instead of being on a royalty contract, I, I became a full full employee and and stayed with Borland until the mid '90s. And so the successor of Turbo Pascal, we did. I think six or seven versions of Turbo Pascal, and then, of course, at at, at this time now we're in the we're in the mid '90s, uh, early mid '90s, and graphical user interfaces are starting to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And Visual Basic was this mm-hmm. very uh, revolutionary product that 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 Microsoft had created that uh, that gave you this rapid application development environment where you can drag and drop controls onto forms, and it was actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know how easy it was to create graphical UIs. Uh, but of course, the language underneath was basic, and it was interpreted, and it was not a very powerful language. And we felt, hey, you know, maybe maybe there's a there there. You know, maybe this is where we ought to have a real compiler. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, maybe this is where we had, we really ought to have real object-oriented programming with classes that you can inherit from and methods you can override and all of, all of the good stuff that had happened. And so mm-hmm. Delphi was sort of an amalgam of all of that. Plus, we also built a whole set of controls to allow you to build nice client server apps because that was how you could get into the enterprise at the time. There were mm-hmm. products like Power Builder and so forth, you know, where where you know, but but the people who had the money were the enterprises and they wanted client server apps on. And and so so that sort of became our, our way into into more professional programming, if if you will. But it was it was a fun ride. Uh, and then like you talked about, like yes, you couldn't repaint the form. And well, like one of the things that we valued a lot in in Delphi and, and its visual class library was, you know, that there were always escape hatches that would mm-hmm. allow you to get down to the underlying OS. And so right. you could obtain the window handle and then the wind proc and then get down there and actually like call directly to the OS yeah. and do all sorts of good stuff. And people love that, right? Yeah. Because because with VB, there was always this glass ceiling and you keep banging your head against it and, you know, and, 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 and then you were stuck, right? So Yeah, yeah with VB, it was so hard because... Okay, but by the way, a lot of the audience watching is like, "What are these folks talking about?" But it, so, but, but but in VB, you were you know often this language of these B strings and you know and things which didn't look like D words mm-hmm. or thirty mm-hmm. bit things. And when you pass these things and called, if it didn't work, and you had to change the calling convention around from standard call to C deck, the whole oh, yeah. all yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if something didn't work, all you got was like it just crashed. Right and debugging was a nightmare. Uh, it was painful, uh, and that was there. Um, the other narrative which played out in this era, I would say, which dominated the industry, was the rise, excitement, I, and then the fall of Java. So mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about. Okay, let me ask you this: What do you think Java did right, and what do you think eventually happened? Well, so now we're yeah in the mid '90s, and I'm I'm at Borland actually, and and I remember you know I, well so so there was this, all of a sudden there was this thing called Java, you mm-hmm. know, and, and well first there was this thing called the internet, which of course was huge, right? Yeah. And 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 then there was this thing called Java that, you know, the internet taught everybody that cross-platform all of a sudden is going to become incredibly important, right? I mean, here we are, we're all like on these languages that are closely affinitized with this, that, or the other OS and mm-hmm. desktop and what have you. And, and so everyone was sort of going, 
what's the language? What's the what's what's programming going to be like in this new in this new internet dominated yeah. world, right? Yeah. And Sun was was brilliant at positioning Java as this is the language that is basically going to rule oh, them all right. on the internet. Yep. With and and then they had applets and they had the, mm. the little the little oh guy God. that looked like a penguin or or, or whatever the coffee and, uh, the, 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 the steaming uh, the steaming cup steaming coffee. coffee and water right yeah. ones right, right ones right, run anywhere right. <laughs> and there was even I I mean it was it, it, the industry totally went bonkers I mean there was the Java fund it was like a hundred million dollar fund whose sole purpose was to invest in companies that wrote. Program, Java programs. It didn't matter what the programs did. As long as they were written in, in Java, you could obtain funding. Yeah. Um, and we all, we were sort of, I mean, we were all kind of like walking around like with, 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 you know, like these scared looks on our faces going, oh my God, is this is programming languages, are, are they dead? Is that the end of it? Are we all like done here? You know, and, 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 and honestly, there was a feeling for a while that that was going to be the case. Um, and this was also like at the time where you know Borland was starting to not do as well competitively with Microsoft and mm -hmm. and and you know, but Delphi had done well and had irritated Bill <laughs> enough that, <laughs> particularly because we were stepping on Basic, which was his 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 child, right? And then so so ultimately, I ended up then joining Microsoft at at that right at that juncture and ostensibly to work on. Microsoft's Java development tools mm -hmm. um, and ended up working on Visual J++. Um, um, the first version of it that I that I worked on and shipped was uh, Visual J++ 6.0, I remember. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, this is now we're back in, I think, 97. I joined, I joined in 96 and then, so this must have been in 97, I, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, or maybe 98. Um, and uh, we'd actually built a really nice product. The first product we built was our, our that was almost completely done when I when I got to Microsoft was v, VJ plus plus one one, mm -hmm. which was just take Visual C plus plus, take out the C compiler, stick in a Java compiler mm -hmm. instead, and call <laughs> it a product. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> but of course, that wasn't quite it. But Visual J plus plus six zero had you know it had visual programming and like a whole bunch mm -hmm. of stuff and. And of course, because it ran on Windows, it also had features that made it easier to write Windows programs. Mm -hmm. um, now that turned out to be a major problem in, mm -hmm. in retrospect, uh, because uh, by Sun's reading of the contract, we were not permitted to do that. Uh, I, I will to this day swear that the contract said we were permitted to do it, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But the product literally ended up being enjoined by a judge in San Jose, and that who forced yeah. us to put up big warning dialogues. You know, when a warning you are about to enable unsanctioned language extensions, do you wish to proceed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 very quickly, we realized, you know, it's not going to work for us to build our future on someone else's on on technology license from a competitor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, right. We gotta we gotta build our own thing. Uh, and at that such that we can serve our customers, right? Just to paint the picture for folks, right? Like a couple of stories here. One is 
for those of you too young, back in the day, if you ran a Java application on the client side, it was going to look and feel so different. Even with Swing, their modern tools, it didn't feel native Windows. It was slower. Yeah. It took a while. Yeah. It felt different. And the BJ++ apps, which I'm pretty sure most people here haven't experienced, would actually feel like native Windows. So we have a story. So we, our first job at Microsoft was in Hyderabad at the India Development Center, which actually, I'm not sure you know this, took over the development of VJ++. So we used yeah. to sit right oh, next to it. Yes, yes, so, yes. And, <laughs> and it, as a result of some of the legal regulatory issues that had fallen out, like there was this huge wall where like That's every right. meeting had a lawyer. It was a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think uh, we when we joined, it was a very different Microsoft than even the late 90s Microsoft because they'd all been through a ton of legalese and process uh, around what can be shared, what can't. And we were all, you know, in the same building, bunch of cubicles together, but there was this like fine, like divide this line of like, oh, you guys work on VJ++ and we don't, we used to work on Visual Studio. Yeah. And yeah. so it was very, very different. Processes were different. Who we talked to, what was the legal process? Like everything was very different and it was just completely yeah. divided. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have to be black box there, you know, just like, to, yep, yeah. Yep. I mean, it was it was a crazy time, uh, yeah. quite honestly. And and but you're right that that with I I do remember the original Java with AWT, you know, that, that yeah. it, it it very much showed the limitations of cross platform and yeah. and even today there's this tension right between like frameworks that allow you to write like apps that run everywhere, but they don't have quite the native look yeah. and feel and customers always want like apps that have the native right. look and feel. And so, so that tension exists still. Yeah. It's great because right. I was just um, what, reading a discussion on Hacker News the other day about Electron and Electron apps, right? Mm -hmm. And this exact thing hmm. now comes yep. up, which yep. is, oh, yeah. uh, you know, when do you write like, you know, uh, something uh, which renders inside a browser uh, versus something which renders natively uh, versus something on mobile? So this discussion, I think, will never, ever yeah. uh, go away. No, and, 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 and it's interesting because it's like, in some ways, it makes it easier to write the apps because you only got to write them once. But it also makes it harder to write the apps if you want them to be native look and feel, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. now you got to be really good at making that framework sing and dance on oh, yeah. in, oh, yeah. in native ways, right? Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Now, this may be, uh, I want to come to this part, which I think is like a very unique moment for Microsoft, which I would say is the design of C, C, -sharp, C -sharp and .NET. So yeah. there's a lot of constraints there, you know, which even from my sort of, I was just a kid, we're just kids. But one was you had to compete, you had to, win the mindset of the Java developer base, mm -hmm. right? There was also this controversy of like, are we moving people away from VB6 into this other world and losing this hobbyist rad mm -hmm. development? So mm -hmm. there was a lot yeah. going on in there. Um, so talk to us maybe about C Sharp, the design process that led into it, and maybe some of the internal and, discussions. And also, and I think the .NET framework, you know, we ended up working on sure. that and mm -hmm. on different parts of... Uh, the .NET framework itself is integration with Visual Studio, but also yep. I worked on the CLR. Um, and so this was something that we were deeply passionate about. So um, how did you think about C-sharp from a concept to actual implementation? Well, I think one way to look at it, at least, and I, I think it, 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 it definitely was, was front and center in most of our thinking was that we had at, at Microsoft at the time, two very large constituents of, mm -hmm. of, of developers. Mm 
there was the C++ developers, the native code, you know, and, and, and then there was the VB6 rad guys, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the reality is that everybody wanted the ease of use uh, of Visual Basics Basic. Rapid Application Development, and everybody wanted the power and expressiveness that mm -hmm. C++ had, right? And we could give them one or the other, but like trying to marry the two was hell on wheels, right? Mm -hmm. and, and like you try to write VBX controls or try to write native code or, or OCXs or whatever they, 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 they were called, OCX. many things, right? Active, I mean, ActiveX controls. ActiveX, yeah. <laughs> you tried to write COM uh, interfaces and Olay automation and blah, 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 and it was horrible. I dispatch, I, I right? dispatch, I unknown, oh my God. Yeah. I think for college, so, I ended well, up writing so a decom interface. Uh, back when I was in college, one of the projects I did was take to write a decom interface. And uh, I remember <laughs> yeah. telling that oh, yeah. to Shriram when he was in college and he was like, mother of God, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> it was not easy. Yeah. So, so, so there were a bunch of these constituents. Sure. Um, also, I, I think, um, so, so we also knew that, that calm as a runtime it wasn't really a runtime. It was a it was a more like an ABI, a binary interoperability standard between mm. apps, right? But there mm. wasn't a runtime. There was no framework. There was no shared library. There was nothing that allowed you to abstract the OS. And so so you were at this hopelessly low level, right? Mm -hmm. And so so there was a need both for a runtime and frameworks, and there was a need for a language that somehow try to straddle the fence there and give you both the ease of use and the power and expressiveness, you know, of, of these other two languages. And that was sort of what was in our minds when we designed .NET and, and C Sharp. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we kind of knew from the, with C Sharp specifically, uh, we knew from the onset that if, we, if we're ever going to appeal to Java users or C users or C++ users, it has to be a language in the curly brace family of languages. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not going to be based on basic, mm -hmm. but we still need basic because we need a path forward for, mm -hmm. for visual basic users and whatever. And plus there's all these other languages and really wouldn't it be cool to build a runtime that could serve all of them, a substrate that all of these could build on. Right. Yep. And that was so, so, so for C sharp, the vision was sort of like, you know, create this blend of VB and C, right? And for .NET, it was like build a substrate that allows you to have multiple languages host on a common mm -hmm. set of services. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's called the CLR, right? The common mm -hmm. language runtime. So here's a fun question for you. I think, I don't know how many years, it must be over 20, 20 years now since C Sharp, or 22 years, uh, you know, since the PDC 98, right, was when .NET was first no, announced. PDC 2000 was 2000. when it was ah. uh, officially released, yes, yes. Right. Uh, but uh, so, we worked on it since uh, before that, obviously, yeah. So it's over 20 years. Looking back, what is one design decision that you are proud of for how it has withstood the test of time? And what is a design decision that you're like, Ah, I would like to maybe have that one back. So many. I, 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 I don't know. You know, I mean, that, that's, it's hard to say. I, I think we got a lot of things right. I mean, if I had to pick one thing that I, that I thought was 
pretty cool. It's sort of like we have this unified type system where everything is an object, even though yes. we are actually a much lower level language. And then that meant that from the get go, we had concepts like boxing uh, and, 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 and unboxing, you know, built in and understood by the runtime deeply. Yeah. And even under, and then, then, you know, in 2.0, we got generics. Um, which I think is, was a wonderful feature. It was implemented by Don Syme and Andrew Kennedy and Don Syme, who then became the creator of F-Sharp. Um, mm -hmm. And it sprung out of Microsoft research and they did a lot of the implementation work. Um, and our generics implementation is pretty cool and unique in that it's reified generic meaning, generics, meaning that they're understood in at runtime. You can instantiate generic types at runtime where Java's, later implementation of generics is based on erasure and that has some very odd effects at runtime because the mm -hmm. generics are gone then anyway i'm, I'm like off on a sidetrack here but you know it's it's that that those those are those are things that i think we got right i think the thing we got wrong perhaps was to sort of wholesale go with established practices and allow uh, the null uh, in the door, you know. <laughs> I was actually had that. I was going to say, like, is it going to be nullable types is your, okay, I got that right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I always felt like in, in retrospect, it sure would have been nice to to try to like exercise nulls a bit more and, 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 and basically make it possible for you to have non-nullable reference types. That was that was the mm. thing that, that was lacking, you know, in, in C-sharp from the get-go. Now we've done some work now, but this is like 20 years later, mm. right? But, but back then, if you declared a string, any string could also be null. And there was nothing you could do to save yourself from that. And any object could also be null. And the compiler could not guarantee in any way whatsoever that you had initialized your object to not be null. And that meant that things could blow up in your hands at any point in time. Um, and of course, things do, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and uh, uh, Hoare called this his, who invented null, called this his billion dollar mistake, right? <laughs> And and I don't know. It's probably more like a trillion dollar mistake. I mean, when 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 you consider how much money we've all spent on debugging programs with, I mean, because every time you ask any group of programmers mm -hmm. that programming languages who programming languages that have nulls, yeah. what is what is mm -hmm. what is the most common bug you run into? It's a null pointer exception, right? That's um, right. Now. Now, functional languages have made a lot of uh, progress in, in that space, and we have two in TypeScript, and and, and, yeah. and now C-Sharp even has adopted some of these ideas, you know. So, you know, so I was going to, uh, in the 2000 to 2010 era, right, which is C-Sharp 1.0, 2.0, which had generics, it seems like almost like, and for me as a sort of a layman developer, there's like two parallel tracks. There is the static compiled runtime languages, which is CLR, uh, Java, which I think was kind of slow on a downtrend at this time and, you know, wasn't really getting that option used to. But then you kind of saw the rise of the dynamic yeah, languages. You saw Guido with Python, Guido is now at Microsoft and uh, Ruby and then Ruby on Rails mm -hmm. and, you know, which had some concepts like, you know, uh, dynamic types, uh, closures, yeah. some sort of like sprinkling of some of the concepts mm -hmm. from, you know, more esoteric functional, functional languages. Stuff, so. Yeah. When yeah. you when you were kind of at Microsoft, when you're watching these, like what what were you observing? How did you kind of read that era of the all the open source dynamic language uh, ecosystem? Well, I I mean, dynamic languages was nothing new in in a, in a sense at Microsoft, right? Because Basic, ultimately, I mean, Visual Basic is a dynamic programming language, um, and and 
of course, we had our Internet Explorer team and, and we had an implementation of Java. And, and so, so we had plenty of dynamic languages around. Um, and we actually had plenty of need to interact with dynamic programming languages as well. And, and even in, I think it was in C-Sharp 4.0, we, we introduced uh, the, the dynamic keyword and dynamic types and the ability to do late bound calls and, 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 and so forth. Um, but of course, it's, that doesn't really capture why people were interested in, in, in dynamic programming languages, right? I mean, and the thing about dynamic programming languages is, is they they dramatically lower the barrier to entry, right? Because hey, you can just start you just start writing code, yep. see what happens, yeah. right? Yep. I mean, yep. you don't have to say, oh, x x is x x is whatever it is. I say it is, or I can put anything into my variable here, right? But of course, as programs scale, that can become a little bit problematic, right? Mm -hmm. Because now there's how do you how do you check that this code is actually going to do what you want it to do uh, when when you have given no hints in the code about what kinds of things can I stuff into these data structures and variables of mine, right? Um, and and of course that I mean well, I'm sure we'll we'll get to talk about TypeScript and <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. sort of one of the one of the one of the big things there, right? Is 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 precisely that yeah, whole. I, I think like every language at the time. You know, at the time, I was kind of bonded. For example, Python, you know, had the whole, you know, if duck typing, if it looks like a duck, et cetera, et cetera. But <laughs> Python was really bound, I think, or constrained by the GIL, the interpreter lock, and kind of this one. So I think the, in some ways, the Nirvana was going to be a way to marry the performance and optimization and the JIT uh, of something like the CLR, but with also the explicitity and just kind of the ease of use of something that Ruby or Python brought to board, which brings me to what you know we want to talk about, which is, I would say the one language is probably dominated in probably just lines of code written or used by all of us over the last 20 years, uh, has to be the one that Brent and I invented, you know, which is JavaScript. So, and so maybe talk to us a little bit about the origin of TypeScript through Scriptshop, but maybe before that JavaScript, like JavaScript apps getting bigger, what you saw, what interested you, and then you being like, okay, I'm gonna roll up the sleeves, I'm gonna go get back into building things again, <laughs> and then making TypeScript, right. how that happened. Well, I mean, uh, JavaScript has a, has a long history, right? I mean, it was yeah. conceived at Netscape in the early 90s, and it was it was put together in a hurry. Uh, I, I don't know if it's two, it was two or three weeks or, or mm -hmm. whatever, that, that but, but we need a scripting language in this browser, you know, to, to program and then, and so, so, so Brendan Ike was given the task of creating a programming language, which he did, and and and, and he did a marvelously good job when you when when you consider he only had two or three weeks to do it. Um, right. And it's our it's our luck that he had been educated in functional programming uh, and and Lisp and and whatever, and and understood like notions of functions as first class objects and closure over state and and, and whatever, and and actually got that right in JavaScript. Mm -hmm. way back when yeah. uh, and and that has heavily been leveraged since right but but so but then it's interesting then through the browser wars there was like a decade there where microsoft and netscape were warring but 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 javascript was never performant enough and the, and the internet was never mature enough for it actually to be an application platform, mm -hmm. a programming platform, right? It was like, like you'd use JavaScript just to, mm -hmm. I mean, just it was more like a glue language, like here, maybe five or 10 lines of code just to make this stuff work, right? But mm -hmm. but don't ever try to actually compute anything in JavaScript. It'll take an afternoon, right? And yeah. so, so, 
that was sort of the established uh, dogma, I, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, Google went and did something marvelous. You know, they uh, they they built uh, the V8 uh, uh, mm. engine and mm -hmm. introduced the notion of JIT compilation to JavaScript, uh, yeah. and that was actually run by a, a team of. Danes in Aarhus, a guy named Lars Bach uh, yes, was, was sort yes. of the, the, the chief guy on that. And they did a fantastic job. Yeah. And they proved us all wrong that JavaScript actually can be incredibly performant. At the same time, HTML was starting to grow up with H5. And browsers were becoming more secure. And gradually, this platform was emerging. You know, this, mm -hmm. this true cross-platform that yes. runs everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Was starting to come into focus, and and of course people are were were discovering that, uh, and they were starting to write larger and larger JavaScript applications, and it was going well for a while. But then you know, but then they became really large these apps, mm -hmm. and they had large teams of you know hundreds of programmers on them, and then they would discover that they would basically slow to a crawl and at times go backwards because they simply could not scale these large mm -hmm. JavaScript. Uh, uh, apps for a variety of reasons. One being that, you know, there were no classes and there's no object-oriented programming in JavaScript. There's no notion of modules or anything like, like yep. that, right? And that that was that was a big problem. But there was also no there's no type system. And it's not possible for you in the language to specify what your intent is. Mm -hmm. You can write the code and the code will do what it does, but you can't like put in, in, in place any kind of guides or or, 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 or that, that say, hey, this is supposed to be a number, not a string. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, or this is supposed to be an object with the following properties or what have you, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that A means that it's very hard for you to write code that the next programmer that comes in and maintains it uh, knows what to do with. Um, and it's also very hard for you to verify that these apps are going to work when you run them. Um, mm -hmm. And it's hard to build tooling because it turns out that these types are what enable tooling. Mm -hmm. And that sort of brings me to why it was that we then got interested in, in TypeScript. Because one thing that we saw then inside Microsoft was that teams were coming to us and they were asking us if we could perhaps productize a technology called Script Sharp. Mm -hmm. uh, We'd heard a little bit of uh, this guy named Nikhil who who had who had who had who built this, web uh, matrix who built the web matrix web server and ID way way back in the day if you remember yep, too yep. uh -huh. and we were like okay script sharp I mean, script sharp is this thing that uh, that allows you to write in C sharp and then cross compiles it to JavaScript so you can mm -hmm. then run it mm -hmm. we go well why would anyone do that was, was <laughs> sort of our first reaction we go, well it turns out they the teams were doing it because it gave them access to grown-up tooling. Mm -hmm. You know, you could write in Visual Studio, you could use modules, you could use classes, you could use interfaces, you could type check your code before you ran it, you could do all sorts of cool things. You got statement completions and safe refactorings and code navigation and all this, all these bennies that, and you got the ability to document your code by mm -hmm. putting types in there that the next developer on the team, you know, would actually understand what your intent was. Yeah. Um, and we go, wow, well, that's fascinating. So you're actually writing in C-sharp, but you're not running C-sharp. You're treating JavaScript as an IL, basically, mm -hmm. right? Right, <laughs> right. And we're like, but that's nuts. I mean, surely, if you want to appeal to JavaScript programmers, wouldn't it be better to try to fix JavaScript? 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and like make better tooling for JavaScript or do whatever it is we need to do here to, to make mm-hmm. JavaScript better. And so mm-hmm. that was the genesis for, for TypeScript, right? Was, was let's do that instead of, because surely you're never going to be best of breed by telling JavaScript programmers that you have to program in another language and then cross compile mm-hmm. the JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's only going to get a few percent, right? Yeah, yeah. But if we could make the world better for JavaScript users, boy, that could move the needle. I have a theory here, which is, this is, uh, the TypeScript just celebrated 10 years, by the way. So congratulations, I think yeah, uh, late you. October, yeah. which is mm-hmm. amazing. Um, uh, makes me feel old because I just remember it like it was yesterday. And yeah. I, I think, I would love your theory on why you think TypeScript, you know, if you look at any of the ratings of most used languages, TypeScript is always there in the top five, top 10, incredibly popular of why it is so popular. And I have a theory, which is in the 2020 era, Microsoft didn't embrace open source, or if it did, it was very reluctant. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what we, what I keep saying we, but what Microsoft put out on GitHub or how it engaged the community, right. it, we, they did, but it was a reluctance. But I would say, uh, or anything outside the Windows ecosystem. Now, right. I think in the last 10 years, uh, and if we look at the success of Visual Studio Code, and if you look at the uh, success of uh, TypeScript, there has yeah. been an engagement with the community, uh, which I have a theory, and I would love to, you can tell me if I'm full of shit, which is like, which I think has played some role in success. A, why do you think TypeScript succeeded? Do you think Microsoft being more open has anything to do with it at all? Well, I mean, so so TypeScript was one of the first uh, open source from the get-go projects at Microsoft. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say it was open source more by 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 need than by anything else because we fully realized that if we're ever gonna appeal to the JavaScript community, this has to be open source. There's mm-hmm. because this is I mean JavaScript is everywhere and it's 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 yeah. it's it's like you know the, the platform of, of, of that runs everywhere, yes. right? Not just on Windows. And so yeah. there's no way we could we could build a proprietary product here and 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 appeal um, to the community. I I think. It was a hard sell at the beginning, uh, you know, back in, in in 2010. But but then, of course, there were like changes happened, you know, like like uh, Satya became the CEO of Microsoft, you know, it, within a few years after that, and all of a sudden, you know, the mindset very very much changed at Microsoft. And I I think open source sort of has has more deeply evolved into some communities than others, right? And and but but the place that it evolved most deeply first was like in in, in development tools, I think. Mm-hmm. And so already it was evident to us back in, in 2010 that that going forward, you know, to, you, you're not going to be able to do development tools if you do not appeal to the open source community. So we're going to have to learn to do open source. Mm-hmm. We did not know anything about mm-hmm. how to do open source. We thought mm-hmm. we knew, but we didn't. Uh, and, and in the beginning we, with TypeScript, we did what was technically open source in that you know, we put the source code out there and 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 put a license on it, so or, or a, a permissive license, so people can have the source code, right? Right. But we didn't actually develop it in the open. Uh, you know, we still used our internal bug tracking systems, and we would scrape the feedback from, you know, like it was on Codeplex. That was Microsoft. That's right. Oh, yeah. you know, That's my goodness. Uh, open source repository, which was mostly crickets. <laughs> Yep. You know, but 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 still, we would we would take the feedback from there, put it into our internal bug tracking system, and then we would occasionally lop a copy of the source code back into Coplex. But I, we we quickly realized that that this is not you know this does not not community participation, and community participation is the hallmark of open source, right? And so in 
2014, uh, we moved TypeScript to GitHub. Um, and that was really when, when things began to take off because now all of a sudden it became possible for the community to actually involve itself in, in the development of the product. Um, and we've been there ever since now. Um, mm -hmm. And our entire workflow is in, in the open. Like, I mean, our design meeting notes, everything, everything. There, there are no, no secrets on, on this project. I mean, it's been liberating. It's been wonderful. And for myself personally, I love that workflow. I mean, it is so, no, but it's so rewarding to be right there, right next to your users, right? They are literally, I mean, you, they can report bugs in the morning and you can have a fix in, in the main branch by afternoon. You know, and then people yeah. love it's that is like so it's gratifying for us doing it and it builds tremendous uh, excitement for the product in, in the community. So it's it's just a win win for everybody. Uh, plus, I mean, even for Microsoft, you know, it, it invites conversations with groups of programmers that previously we would never reach. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. and through through projects like TypeScript and Visual Studio Code. Now we are we are bigger in the developer division than we've ever been, you know, oh, yeah. in terms of engaged users, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's phenomenal. Like I grew up in a Microsoft where if you ever posted on any open source program with Microsoft, you would get the micro dollar soft or a Windows <laughs> or you MFT. Yes, I've, I've, uh, I've seen oh, that. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, uh, I mean, and, you know, I mean, I think Miguel de Casa said mm -hmm. it, and, uh, but but maybe maybe others have said it before. But, but you know, uh, trust is one in drops and and lost in buckets right i mean and 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 it's it's just it takes forever to win people's trust and you got to be really careful because it takes one dumb mistake and then you're pouring it all out of the bucket again right mm -hmm. and so so we're very very uh serious about this uh about this journey um, and it's it's uh, it's been fantastic. I mean, it's been so wonderful to be part of. Which way it kind of blows my mind when I see these forums and they say, "Oh, my favorite language is TypeScript, and I'm using VS Code over Emacs versus VI." Right? You'd be amazed how many times when I say an Emacs versus VI debate for the last two days, they'd be like, "Well, <laughs> I don't want to admit it, but I boot to VS Code because it's better than everything else." Um, yeah. I really want to ask you this because I want to kind of focus on Anders, a person too. Because one thing that kind of really strikes me about you is there is a risk for architects and designers to become, you know, quote unquote, architecture astronauts, where you are <laughs> removed. Also, there are certain other, maybe people at Microsoft who this might also may apply to, but you're so removed from the actual thing that is being built in the way that is being built, that right. over time, slowly, you lose kind of the fine details of what it is that you're designing. And, you know, you have avoided that, you roll up your sleeves and you got into building TypeScript. I am curious about how you sort of avoid the problems of just kind of being too out of the details and being an astronaut. And then maybe talk to us a little bit about like how you write code and, you know, how you engage with writing, you know, software yourself. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've had a long career, right? I mean, uh, it's it's been 40 plus years of, of, of programming at, 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 at this point. And, uh, and in the beginning, I, that programming was what I did, right? I mean, and, and only programming. Uh, and then it was only myself. And then I learned, I would say, over time at Borland to become a team player, you know. And, and, and then I would say I learned at Microsoft to become an architect um, and, and a language designer. And I was gradually sort of moving up towards the uh, 
the stratosphere there, right? I mean, and 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 on, on C sharp, mostly I would write code, but I would I would mostly write code on the .NET framework. Like I wrote a bunch of the base classes and in, in .NET mm -hmm. and whatever, but I wasn't actually writing the compiler. I was writing the language specification. Mm -hmm. um, and there was some unfulfilled part of me there. I, I did not realize it at the time, right? But I was gradually less and less enthused with with that. Mm -hmm. There was mm -hmm. some. There was some itch that I wasn't scratching, you know, without really knowing it, right? Um, and it wasn't really until late in the C-sharp project where I, I sort of felt a bit burned out and took a sabbatical and, and whatever, and and then discovered that, you know, the thing you're, that you've, you've lost your roots, right? You're not actually programming the way you used to, and that's really what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And so with TypeScript, when, when that opportunity presented itself to sort of get interested in this new opportunity, mm -hmm. um, I decided to participate in the, in the coding of it too. Um, and so, so I wrote the, the, first, the first versions of the compiler I did not write. Uh, that was written by Steve Luco. And then we had a, a team that, that tried to, or well, they not, didn't try. They wrote the first shipped compiler the first compiler we shipped which was mm -hmm. written in sort of c-sharp style in javascript and it was not particularly efficient and i had gotten curious about um this other style of programming in javascript where you use functional features way mm -hmm. more and closure mm -hmm. and whatever and it's 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 and i i was like wow let me let me try to like just write a little parser this way. And now let me try to write a, a little type checker, maybe also, you know, because there was not a whole lot in TypeScript at the time. I discovered that you could write way more succinct code and it ran way faster. Um, um, and so eventually that became the core of the compiler code base that we're on right now. Um, mm -hmm. And I've ended up writing a lot of code and I still write. A lot of code in that code base. I, I I'm sort of the chief committer, I would say, on the on the type checker, um, mm -hmm. which is the the more complicated part of the of the code base, and it's it's a lot of fun, um, you know, because and it keeps me happy, you know. I mean, it keeps me do it. It, it makes me also say no to other things. I mean, I've never been a people manager. I've never, you know, I you know risen up the ranks, but. But I also full well know that if, if I had chosen that path, I would have never been as fulfilled, right? Because this is this is my calling. My calling is writing code. <laughs> oh my. Um, and so so I've doubled down on that. Okay, so this is a off-requested question about you, uh, which is, let us say you want to write a fun piece of code today. Walk us through your tool set your monitor, your keyboard, what ID you're going to use. Feel free to uh, feel free to piss off half the internet with your choice of ID, oh, language. What would you what would Anders Helsberg use in 2023? I'm actually a, a, a pretty simple guy. I, I don't have a super multi-monitor fancy game riggy uh, setup. <laughs> I like to work on laptops. I always work because I I it it, it sort of all the, going all the way back to the beginning of, of time and at, at Borland, I would always work at home several days a week. And that's mm -hmm. where I wrote most of the code. And then mm -hmm. I'd go in and play ping pong and interact with people and, and whatever. And I sort of treated work as, <laughs> as the place where I wouldn't work. And then I'd go home and work. Mm -hmm. And that meant I needed like the ability to lug my computer with me. 
And so I had portables back when they were transportables, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Osborns and the K pros and what have you, like, yeah. with the, like these things that were bigger than sewing machines and weighed mm-hmm. a ton. Uh, and I would lug them back and forth. And so I've always been on laptops and I'm still on a laptop. The laptop I have today is a, it's a ThinkPad uh, uh, P1 um, mm-hmm. with a nice 4K monitor or a 4K screen, nice. a touch screen. Nice. It's, it's awesome. Uh, I love uh, their keyboards. Once, once you, once you oh, use yeah. their keyboards, yeah. you can never, you can never go back. <laughs> Lenovo makes the best um, keyboard still. Yeah. They still um, and uh, I, I, the, my, the, the OS I use is Windows just because that's what I grew up on and what I'm, what I'm, what I'm very comfortable with. I use Windows Terminal, you know, the new host for the command line. And that's awesome. Uh, I, of course, use Visual Studio um, mm-hmm. heavily. Uh, uh, my color scheme is Monokai, uh, which I, I like. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's kind of it, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, I used to have an external monitor, but like just all oh, this plugging in and whatever, and it's like just get a decent laptop with a big enough screen. <laughs> I got. It. I, 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 so the, it's the, the two schools of thought. Like for example, on the use of IDEs and how you write code. For example, mm-hmm. there's a whole class of people who just print off their way to debugging. And then there is there are others, for example, John Carmack famously falls into, falls into this category. John's like kind of a legendary uh, Visual Studio user where you love the debugger. You love being able to put a breakpoint, inspect the state of your program. It sounds like you're in the latter category, but I'm kind of curious about like which category, do you see the appeals of both categories and do you see yourself as part of the, the second category? Um, I'm in both. It, it sort of depends on what I'm trying to debug. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's I, I am absolutely guilty of using console.log in in and just slap it in the middle of the compiler and print out what what because the compiler already has internal functions that allow you to convert a type to its string representation, right? Because we yeah. need that in error messages. So it's trivial to just have a console.log that prints up what type are you looking at here and here? What are you instantiating now or or whatever if you're looking at something generic? So but 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 then there are also cases where, you know, with type systems and particularly structural generic type systems like the one we have in TypeScript, recursion is you are always staring into the recursive abyss in, in, in literally every function you like where you're trying to relate two types that are deep and they are generative. They keep making new types as you descend into them. It's like mm-hmm. there's this parent thing. You can just keep asking for the parent and the parent of the parent and the parent of the parent of the parent. And it never ends, right? And so yeah. whoop, you build up these enormous call stacks. And at that point, you really need a debugger to sort out, how did right. I end up here? What's the bottom right. of my stack look like? And what was it that got me into this cycle? And you can you can sort of in the call stack see, oh, look, this repeats like 15 function calls deep. It keeps on coming around. and. Yeah. Why is this happening, and what do we got to do about it? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I, it's, it's, I do both, uh, and and we do profiling too, or I do profiling too. I mean, uh, nice. You know, because sometimes it's like all of a sudden a compilation takes like, why does it takes ten x longer in this release of the compiler? We got to figure out what is it that's slow here. You know, so now you need a profiler. And so, yeah. Yeah. There, awesome. there's, there's, there's no one tool that does it all, but yeah, but console.log or printf, whatever, definitely path of least resistance. It works yeah. for a lot of <laughs> yeah. uh, We posted on uh, Twitter 
uh, and said, you know, we're doing this interview. What would you like to ask uh, Anders? And mm-hmm. one of the frequently most asked question was around, um, you know, large language models and AI with Copilot. What is your thinking or your, has your philosophy of language design shifted in the light of, you know, the proliferation of AI and how we think about Copilot and everything else? I would, so there's language design, no. Uh, language design moves very slowly, and 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 you know, I mean, we're we're look at the fifty years that have gone. You go back fifty years on programming languages that didn't even look all that different than, than they do right. now. They're a reflection very much of the machine architecture, and and the capabilities of the of the, of the hardware, and 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 you know, and there are different abstraction levels, and you could you could you could envision languages going up the abstraction level, and and like. Languages for for constructing query prompts for uh, large language models and, and and that sort of thing. But like when it comes to general purpose programming, like I don't think it it's it, it's a much longer window, you know, to right. answer that question. Right. And we're not in it deep enough yet to know. Um, right. I do think it's going to change uh, the way we construct tooling. Absolutely. Right. I mean, GitHub, right. uh, 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 sorry, uh, Copilot is one example of that. But there are, oh my God, so many other things that we can apply that to in the in the tooling, and and we're gonna definitely. I mean, we're looking at that every day, right? I, I mean, these large language models are are at at at, at one time mind blowing in in their capability and mind blowing in their at time stupidity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and and it's it's just. I think I saw a tweet from Tim Sweeney who said. Like like Chat GPT is kind of like a is kind of like a person with encyclopedic knowledge and the writing skills of an English professor, but with the reasoning abilities of a first grader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 I think in many ways that's true, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because you know these things can cough up the, the the if anyone anywhere has written a piece of code or a piece of prose that that sounds like what you're trying to do here, these things can recall. And 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 improvise a bit over it, right? But but when it comes to reasoning about things, it, I still think we have a long way to go. And 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 I don't know, I don't know enough. I mean, I, I don't think anyone knows <laughs> where this where this ends, right? I do mm-hmm. think large language models. I mean, when you think about the way we use them currently in in, in products like uh, Copilot or, yeah. or ChatGPT, where where you sort of feed a token window of here's like 4,000 preceding tokens or 8,000 or whatever, however mm-hmm. big your model is, right? And what's the next token? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, well, what's the one that comes after that? And the one after that. And if I reflect over how do I reason about my coding, that's certainly not the way I think of it, right? right. I don't right. arrive at my solution to my algorithm by thinking about what the next token is. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, and so maybe we're... Maybe we've discovered that these large language models can can do a lot, but 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 we're but we're not helping them reason yet, mm-hmm. we're, because mm-hmm. the, we're we're artificially constraining the problem by feeding them a bunch of tokens and asking for the next one, and that mm. maybe that only gets you so far. We don't know yet, um, and and we'll see, you know. But 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 I think there's still a lot of undiscovered territory here, you know, when when it comes to applying AI to uh, to programming. I sometimes wonder whether it removes some of the the romance of building code. For example, when you told us your hash table story, or when you look at mm-hmm. maybe legendary piece of code like Carmack's Quicksort, for example, mm-hmm. there is a little bit of 
man bending machine to his will mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of craft to that which you know maybe not you know it doesn't really lend itself like large scale software development and there is a part of me as i said i'm a large llms and copilot and i see the appeal the part of me which goes like is some of the romance drained away because the next token that's being predicted is kind of the <laughs> average of all the code written and maybe in some way that reduces the possibility of somebody coming up with a spark of genius to be like well what if yeah. i try things this way as opposed to just tap complete the sort of the mm-hmm. median mm-hmm. of human output is do you ever think about that at all i do uh <laughs> i sometimes just like joke that maybe we're at the moment of peak truth right now because <laughs> what you find on the internet today was actually created by humans largely right but from here on out we're going to be we're going to be training AI models on a bunch of AI generated garbage that is just regurgitation of their own hallucinations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's so who knows where where this all, where this all ends. I do I do think though that that um, AI can help tremendously with a lot of drudgery. You know, exactly. like I mean going to stack overflow and trying to parse through what is the how do I best formulate my answer here and and when when these models can just cough up, you know, uh a great start yeah, but it exactly. does not absolve you from understanding what the code does and, I, and I don't think of... that 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 you you can get away with not being a programmer just because you have mm-hmm. something like and then and then you know i i think you're spot on i think there's something about using programming knowledge and just people being able to write code to to fulfill their uh, kind of bandwidth towards doing something interesting and what they're capable of mm-hmm. as opposed to dealing with drudgery and i feel yes. like if you're able to deploy ai to just deal with that to deal yeah. with solving say right. tech right. Or legacy code tech debt mm-hmm. that kind of thing i feel like it just frees up a lot yeah. of intellectual bandwidth to focus on exciting interesting programming problems which well, i think I mean, is like, such a good yeah, promise I've, i've always said that this that, that the thing that that i've worked on for 40 years is programmer productivity right mm-hmm. it's like right. removing drudgery from programming like finding your bugs or statement completion or all of these things they just get you to they give you more time to do the creative part mm-hmm. right yep and yep. and i think i think uh these ai models can help tremendously with that because they can just cough up some someone already wrote that function you know mm-hmm. here now go go modify it to your to your needs right um, right and right. that's super useful yeah. oh yeah like for example when i think of i don't know let's make an example like let's spin up a vm on azure right like i can probably spend the next 30 minutes googling around and finding the right stack oh, yeah. overflow and sticking the yeah. api key yeah. or thing of magic and i know i can do it but then yeah. i know like a million people are done it better than me and just shift tab enter whatever that's so much easy you know okay. but you your point on peak through this i almost think is profound uh because i think of uh, the whole classic ship of theseus paradox mm. where you get one piece of this ship you know the wooden piece of ship removed every single time it constructed and what time what ta- can you ever tell when it stops being the original ship and it's actually something new and i think something mm-hmm. there about human generated output and ai driven output so for example in 5 years if most of github's corpus is enhanced by copilot and then there is you know uh open ai or some company in 
2028, we're training on that. At what time is human input <laughs> totally removed from what AI is being trained on? Right. There is a ship of this is equivalent in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that could, that could, yeah, you can construct a lot of scary scenarios here. We, oh, yeah. we don't know. We don't know where this all ends. Yeah. Uh, but it is fascinating. When you think about programming languages today, right? Mm -hmm. What are some low-hanging problems in not just languages, but in terms of how people write software that you're like, I would love to spend the next five, 10 years at Microsoft, outside Microsoft or the industry. I would love for either me or the industry to go tackle this in how software is constructed. Well, I, I, you know, I don't think there are any low-hanging problems. If there were or low-hanging fruit, if there was low-hanging fruit, heck, I, <laughs> we would have picked it. I mean... <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you know. So, so, but, but there are still hard problems in computer science. Plenty of them. Um, I mean, I don't think, even though I've been in this industry now for forty years, I don't think we've licked totally the problem of dynamic memory management. I mean, we have a bunch of different solutions. Yeah, you know, reference counting or or, or garbage collection or borrow checkers like in Rust or all sorts of. But none of them sort of like give you cost-free, safe, dynamic memory management at a mm -hmm. systems level. Or, mm -hmm. you know, there's always, you're always trading off something. And maybe mm -hmm. maybe that's just sort of the way it is. But it, it feels to me like, like we haven't quite licked that one, right? We have not licked the problem of, of parallelism in programming languages, far from it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do I parallelize this code? And then when you look at the CPU architectures we're getting today, yeah. we're not getting faster cores, we're getting more cores. Yes. All yeah. the time, yeah. right? And so there's a there's a big problem. Um, declarative programming hasn't really been, I mean, this is what we're talking about, like how do we move the level of abstraction up, right? And 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 I mean, we're we're making progress in in the no code, low code uh, space, uh, space, you know, yeah. but but there's still plenty of of stuff to do there. I think in 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 some ways, programming languages are they're related to the hardware, but they're also very closely related to math. And it's not like math just like changes overnight, you know. It's this is a slow, gradual evolution and discovery of mm -hmm. new things and new constructs and new algorithms and, and whatever. But but I think it's a it's a mistake to 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 believe that that there's all of a sudden form of step change. You know, I I don't think so. It's not if history is any guide. I don't know whether you spend time in crypto, but one of the spaces I very interesting is the idea of how programming language design has been evolving in the world of crypto. Uh, and crypto mm -hmm. is a very interesting space for it because the downside of getting something wrong is not that your program crashes. <laughs> it's going to be that you lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. And, That's right. That's right. Uh, and uh, I don't know whether you've spent time with Solidity, but there is a whole ecosystem of programming language design with Move and there's a bunch of others, which are yeah. all about... Uh, it's actually a very different set of design problems, which mm -hmm. is which is really about safety, knowing mm -hmm. exact uh, verifiability. Uh, yeah. uh, because the downside of getting something wrong is you you lose a lot of money very publicly, very very quickly, and yeah. that's another yeah. area where I think programming they're seeing a lot of interesting design and evolution. No, oh, there's some interesting problems there, like in static type checking and uh, and, and and theorem provers absolutely have have uh, a lot of applicability in that space. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I have a question for you. Maybe a personal question of sorts. One of the things I love about you is you've been in the same company for over 20 years, 25 years now. 
and essentially been in the same field of programming language mm. design for 40 years. Now, I live in a world in Silicon Valley where people switch jobs every few years, and I've definitely switched jobs, or definitely switched the kind of job I've been doing. I'm now a venture capitalist. I used to be a product <laughs> person. And there's just something very deeply romantic about the idea mm -hmm. of like, you know, I'm spending 40 years working on this problem and then being one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world at this. I'm curious just, just your thought process on that, which is at any time, did you go like, okay, well, I'm done with programming languages. I'm done with Microsoft. I'm going to go off and, uh, I don't know, um, build a SaaS spreadsheet soft software company or, uh, or something else. Like just talk to us about what has kept you going in one space for so mm. long. Yeah, maybe it's just because I'm incredibly boring and risk averse, you know. <laughs> I mean, but but no, I, I I think um you don't get to do language design if you want to switch jobs or switch careers every two years or three years, mm -hmm. because it, it's just like the, the languages don't work on that time horizon. Um, you know, it's to 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 make a pro I mean I, I think and I I think in a in a sense my career sort of illustrates it right like every one of the products i worked on kind of took a decade to establish their their community and user base and relevance in in the world right mm -hmm. that's that's the time scales you're dealing with when you're doing programming languages it's 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 a slow work you know like it takes it probably takes a couple of years to bring a programming language like to from from the get-go to a level of actual usability. And, uh, and the ante keeps going up mm -hmm. because people now expect tooling that is way more intelligent than they used to. It's not enough just to have a compiler with all that goes into that uh, and code generation and, and whatever and, and, and type checking and whatever. No, no, no. You also have to have language services and you have to have integration in, in development tools and you have to have all sorts of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. That like big old tool chains um, and and it takes a while to to get that built. And then of course you don't ever get it right in your first release, you know, and it's typically not until the third release that a language is truly like gotten it all sort of put in the right place and yeah. and have all the right features, right? And now, now you're like five years down the line, right? Before you even are relevant. <laughs> so it's, yeah. so it's, it's, a, it's a long game basically. And I, I like this long game. You know, I like noodling away at it. No, look, we can, we can make it a little bit better here, a little bit better here. And, you know, like, like once we're five years down the line, God darn it, it starts to, it starts, it's, it starts to accrue. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, and that's sort of been the game with, with TypeScript too. Right. I think, I mean, we're about to ship version 5.0, but, but we've shipped more than 40. We've had more than 40 releases of, 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 you know, on a on a typical three month cadence uh, through the years, there you know to to get to where we are now, and yeah. and, and we are very very uh, capable as a language now, and have a lot of innovations in the type system. But it did not happen overnight, um, mm -hmm. and so so I'm the right kind of guy or the, the right kind of mindset for that sort of problem, right? So that's uh, why I, I I love it. I think I use the word romantic, and I think it's applicable here, which is something applicable about like doing long term work. Mm -hmm. And saying this is going to be something. It's going to be important. We're going to spend years at it. And you know, people write 
that is code of your you know written in c sharp you know running 20 years later there's code in vb6 still running now there's probably code yeah. older yeah. You know, these are things which last decades people's lifetimes even um and there's just something beautiful about that especially when we live in a world where things don't last very long and i just love that you yeah. do that no and it's i i will tell you it's tremendously gratifying to 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 see and to know that you literally have millions of programmers use stuff that you work on right mm-hmm. and that appreciate it too because programmers tend to be incredibly excited about their tools because they spend like their entire workday in this thing and when this thing gets better it's that's that's eight days of better time for me every day right, right. you know yeah. so they get very excited and that's that's just tremendously motivating and and invigorating for 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 those of us who work on these products right so cruising so, gears us a little bit and this could be a rapid fire round so and maybe i maybe a bit spicier i would love for your quick thoughts on a few programming languages the mm. good the bad anything at all and i have a few let's first start off with rust what do you like not like what are your thoughts on rust i like the courage to to try new <laughs> strategies for dynamic memory management i do not like the complexity of the outcome <laughs> this is spicy uh, content this is going to blow up the internet right here well, no no I, i think that's that's fairly well established that it, it takes a while to understand how how rust works right yeah. mm-hmm. and there are there are also limitations like there are certain typical data structures that become very hard to to like a tree with parent pointers i mean mm-hmm. it's like that's can't really do that in rust i mean not easily you you, mm-hmm. you have to learn you have to understand all the tricks to work around the borrow checker to make that work uh you know so 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 okay. there are there yeah yeah but but i but <laughs> that's it lots of respect i mean i think man that the world was overdue for some progress in systems programming languages and i think rust yeah. delivers so yeah well we're going to this <laughs> i'm going to make a clip of this and put it at anders helsberg dunks on rust and oh, try and make this go viral <laughs> uh the okay next up uh golang um i do not like the fact that it took there were no generics in that language and it took that long for them to get in there i think that hampered the language dramatically uh i find their approach to uh interfaces really interesting this notion that that you have there's a there's not as deep of a coupling between code and data and 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 pointers will carry along with them their own v tables for interface dispatch so so you can sort of marry an interface and a data structure even dynamically and construct a v table dynamically for that where in oop you know that tends to be much more of a of a fused heavy marriage you know and you can't easily construct new implementations of something at at runtime so so there's some interesting stuff there what do you think about goes kind of ideas and because they tend to push the state of the art on concurrent programming models forward and that may be a reflection of the google systems programming you don't seem impressed i'm not i mean they, they sure they added primitives in the in the language to start off new threads of execution but but beyond that it's not clear that that you know issues such as threat safety and 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 all of the other you know like i've always said like if you're programming with you can have you can have mutability or you can have parallelism but you can't have both together mm-hmm. <laughs> no mm-hmm. one understands what happens when you have both together mm-hmm. right i mean and that's why like functional programming great you can do parallelism because yeah. because you know there are no side effects right 
Uh, or you can do mutability, but boy, once you add threads yeah. to that and free threading and then whatever, oh gosh. Oh, gosh yeah. like, you know. <laughs> I, I, I remember many years ago, I tried to understand Haskell uh, deeply or actually object, you know, uh, and OCaml actually. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to understand monads and the whole theory there and the way i understood it was like well side effects are dirty so wear gloves and touch it very very carefully and then tell everybody these things are dirty and then you pass it around with this kind of this big warning sign right. with this right. big radioactive warning sign through the program was kind of my mental image of it well it's it turns out that this this notion of programming with islands of functional purity is actually really a useful way to think about a lot of problems. Um, and, and so I, I am actually a fan of, I'm not necessarily a fan of monads and mm -hmm. endofunctors and what, what have you, all this <laughs> that fancy terminology, right? But, but, but this notion that you try to park the side effects in a place where you can reason about them, and then you have whole portions of code where you just know well, there's no mutability over here. So mm -hmm. that can just be parallelized and I will have to think about it because no one ever modifies this data structure, right? Mm -hmm. So right. I can have as many threads banging on it as I want and it, nothing's going to go wrong. Right. Um, it's right. very, it's, it's, it's empowering. Uh, so, so yeah. I, okay, next yeah. one. This is kind of the cool new kid on the block, even though it's a few years ago. A few years ago. I don't know whether you spent time with it. Zig? I, I looked a little bit at it, but I don't know enough of it uh, about it to, to, to offer a an educated opinion. Well, yeah. I, I, I've spent very little time with it, but I think Zig is sort of, uh, you know, a better C in some ways. I don't know whether that sounds right. blasphemous, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like C fixed, uh, made simpler, easier, how I think about it. Okay, well, uh, last one, uh, Solidity, right? And the whole kind of Ethereum ecosystem program. Have you ever spent time in, uh, looking at that? I've looked at it some. I mean, it's, you know, Solidity is not a general purpose programming language. Mm -hmm. it, I, I, I would call it a domain-specific language, right? And I, I tend to spend less time on domain-specific languages. I think it's an interesting problem space. I think um, whether it whether an, a whole programming language is merited there is not entirely clear to me, or whether, whether you could have done better with a more sort of declarative form of contracts, you know, and, and, and then gradually added the capabilities you know that 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 are that are necessary it's i'm 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 not sure yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's actually sort of a religious question even the crypto ecosystem and for example there are other blockchains which have taken the approach that let's reuse an existing program like for example solana which is a competitor to uh another alternative blockchain um part of their appeal is that you can use the rust tool chain and it kind of compiles to this uh abi style layer yes. uh yes, but yes. i guess it, you get not all of Rust, but enough of Rust, and you can bring the skill set and right. uh and i think so we, we've definitely seen people take different approaches but i think you're spot mm -hmm. on okay so would love to get a sense, maybe just as you can near the end of this, which is what are you spending time on now? What are you excited by? What are you spending? What is the week in the uh, next year in the life of Android Salzburg looks like? <laughs> well, I'm I'm continually involved in in the TypeScript project. So that my daily workflow is working with the TypeScript team and and and, and you know writing features and fixing bugs on uh, in the type checker and and in the larger. TypeScript code base. Then I also get to consult a lot with other teams yeah. at Microsoft. Like anything that sort of rhymes with programming language, I I have sort of a way of getting involved, you know. And and so I've helped other groups with with constructing DSLs or like in, in like language integration or reasoning about 
whether this makes sense to do or not. And, you know, so I, I try to educate myself about what happens in AI, but it's like drinking from the fire hose, right? And I'm not really a mathematician by, by, by trade, so, so I can only <laughs> get so far. Uh, but th those, are, those are like some of the things I would say that, that, that you know, are in my day. Would we ever see another programming language that Anders is working on, or is is it is that is it something that you're thinking about? Is something in the works? Whenever people ask me that, I say that that the world needs another programming language, like it needs another hole in the head. You know, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's and 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 I I already told you it takes ten years for programming languages to succeed. And I would be like in my in my seventies by the time <laughs> such a such an effort would be relevant. You know, but who knows? I mean, it's it's I never say never you know i that the, the whole typescript journey kind of fell in my lap right and i i wasn't planning it i so maybe but that's no no there but there are no like you know the other day plans. Well, well you mentioned tim sweeney the other day i saw this uh tweet slash report that uh uh, they are work. Uh, Epic is working on a new programming language for mm -hmm. the metaverse, right? They have Simon Peyton yep. Jones. Yeah, Simon Peyton Jones is uh, there now. Yeah, yeah. Who's a, who's a kind of a, a legend in programming design, and it did not occur to me that the metaverse needed a programming language. But here we are, and they have some really interesting ideas. And I, I, I again well, saw a tweet. Us, us programming language designers will always like find a way to couple a new programming language to some technology. We, so we need an AI programming language. Nice. <laughs> you know, just like we needed an XML programming language, uh, we needed like back when that was the fan, right? Oh, so gotcha. There's the, yeah, yeah. There's oh, well, uh, or, you know, uh, today somebody was like, hey, you know, maybe for chat GPT, the interface should be a DSL as opposed to the English language. And that's, some, you know, that, I don't know. that seems to work with the, I mean, hey, English, you never I mean, know. I, I actually think the, the natural language interface is the power of chat GPT. So, right. but, but yep. yeah, prompt, I mean, prompt engineering is starting to become a bit of a pseudoscience, you know, so maybe there is, uh, maybe there is some need for something there, you know, but. But well, too, too uh, early my, my instinct is the world hasn't seen the last program language from Anders Hedge uh, yet. And Anders, I just want to say, uh, one, this you know, such a blast. this was such a blast. And I just want to say thank you. You know, uh, we told you the story about how I tried to impress her 20 years ago, saying like, hey, this whole she, see, hash thing is kind of cool. And uh, but, you know, it is the amount of impact you have on the software just impacts every part of our lives. The amount of impact you have on how these things have been constructed is uh, beyond measure. And uh, thank you for everything you've done. And thank you for this amazing conversation. This was such so much fun. Our, I mean, we kind of sort of owe our careers, early starts to our careers, at least to you. I think we both started, we started at Microsoft. We started uh, working on Visual Studio. Uh, I worked on the CLR. But even before that, a lot of our conversations um, one of the languages I had picked up very early on was Common Lisp. And, uh, you know, we started trying to think about what would a compiler for Lisp would look like. Then we moved to Scheme. We started, I think Shriram got me a pirated version of uh, SICP. Yep, yep. Um, and so a lot of our early conversations uh, were around programming languages uh, and centered around you, for lack of a better word. And so thank you for everything you've done. And thanks for you know, employing people like us yeah. indirectly. You're welcome. And it's it's so gratifying to to hear you say that. This is like precisely the thing that keeps me doing what 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 I'm doing, right? The the excitement for for there's nothing more gratifying when when you're working on a product to know that people appreciate 
uh, the work that you do. So oh, I'm really, so cool. really happy to hear that. And thanks so much for having me on this. This was a super fun conversation. I really, this is really super, super fun. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. This was such a blast. This Thank you. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome.